Welcome to the Impact Masters Commission Bible Study Podcast. Join us as we study the Bible verse by verse. I'm your host, Pastor Josh Hawkins. We're going to have some deep, thoughtful, and hopefully helpful discussions to try and discover together what it means to be the followers of Jesus. begin with prayer and then we will um, move forward eternal God creator of heaven and earth God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob God of Israel God and father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ True and living God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have mercy on us this morning and hear our prayer. O Lord, make haste to help us. O God, make speed to save us. Glory to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Lord, we ask you to open our ears, to soften our hearts, to open our eyes we might see beautiful things in your word. Pray that the distractions and the plans of the enemy would be scattered, ruined. Lord, be with us. Give us wisdom. Illuminate your word to us, we ask in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. So we are going to go to the John passage. <clears throat> In the readings uh, that I sent you. Again, did that work for everybody? Everybody got the text message, etc. I didn't have any. Okay, good. But I think, um, well, we'll read the John passage, and then we're going to go back and read the Timothy passage. because uh, Luke, sorry. Sorry, Luke, not John, Luke. Luke 16, 19 through 31. is another parable in the series of parables that we, we, we tackled one of the parables last time, the shrewd manager. Today we're going to tackle the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, um, which is the next portion of that same conversation that Jesus was having uh, with, with the Pharisees. You look confused or upset in some way. Are you okay? Is your leg hurting? Yeah. I'm sorry. All right, Luke 16, 19 through 31. Just in case you wondered, this is the, uh, the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version, which is the version of the Bible that most scholars would say, hey, read this version. Um, that's the version you have in your readings that I send you. Feel free to read whatever version you like most. Um, it's the scripture. It doesn't really matter which version you, you read. But I'm going to read from there. So Jesus said, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Beside all this, between you and us is a great chasm, Uh, uh, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot do so and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes 
to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. I changed my mind. Let's not go back to Timothy. Uh, all right. So let, this is this is a really, really interesting story. There's a lot of different ways we can go with it. Um, uh, what was your initial thought? Like, what do you think? What is, how does this story strike you? when we get down to like the very very bottom yeah. like if he's not listening to old boy and old boy then he's not going to listen to the dead dude right it does seem out of place doesn't it that conversation yeah what do you think's going on there I think Moses is what am I using part of the seas and all that Remember that Jesus isn't telling the story to us. He's telling the story to a to an audience that's standing in front of him. Yes. The people that he told the last story to as well. Right? And so this story has a point for them. Jesus is saying to them, uh, the way you're living your life, is inconsistent with what was taught to you by Moses and the prophets in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. The, thing, the thing about the Pharisees is they prided themselves on being the only ones who were living their lives according to the teachings of Moses and the prophets. And Jesus is saying, but that's not the case. And then he makes a little hint. Whenever will there be someone who comes back from the dead to tell people about repenting and turning back to God. Mm. Hint, there's only one person who's ever done that. Come back from the dead? Yeah. So after he came back from the dead, didn't he go to heaven? Not immediately. What did he do? He taught the Show disciples for 40 days. 40 days? Indeed. He said, hey, I'm about to do it, but I got someone better. Okay, so Jesus rises 40 days, and he dips. Yeah. Oh. But he doesn't dip. He ascended into heaven to be more present, not less. But that's another conversation. I just preached about it on Sunday, actually. This Sunday? This last Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But it's out on YouTube if you're interested. Why does Jesus' ascension good news for us? That's the question. But that's, that's a different question. So Jesus is pointing forward to his own resurrection from the dead. And even and he's saying that, guess what? If you didn't believe Abraham and the prophets to the point that it changes your life so that you care about a poor man, then you aren't going to believe even when I rise from the dead. Does that make sense to everyone? Mm-hmm. That is Jesus' point. So what is going on here? Let's kind of track through the story. So there's a rich man. We don't have his name. Right? Jesus doesn't give us his name. It's very interesting that Jesus doesn't give us his name. Because he gives us the name of the poor guy. Lazarus. Yes. Lazarus is the name of the poor man. We don't get the rich man's name. Is that usually how it goes? No. Uh No. Usually you know the rich person's name, right? Mm -hmm. We know Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates and uh, Elon Musk and all of these rich dudes. We know their names, but poor people tend to go unremembered, right? Not with Jesus. And that's highlighting a point. Because the culture Jesus lived in, just like ours, tended to idolize wealth. In fact, with the Pharisees, the wealthier you were, obviously, the more blessed you are. Right? Well, he's so wealthy. God has really blessed him. That must be a holy person. That's how they thought. That if you were wealthy, it meant that you had the favor of God. Now, we don't go quite that far in our culture. But at the same time, 
you do know those rich men's names. Do you see what I'm talking about? Obviously, we hold wealthy people in high esteem. Do you agree? Jesus is telling a story that's an upside-down story. Because you have the rich man who's partying every day, dressed in all the nicest clothes, right? And outside his gate lies a poor man who can smell the good food that the rich man's cook is cooking, but he's starving to death. Even the dogs are better off than Lazarus because they come and they lick his sores. That's gross, isn't it? And when he, but when he dies, he gets carried off to paradise. And the rich man goes to in, down into Hades. All right. That's what we talked about last week. Yes. Not the rich. Right. So, uh, I do want to, I do, I, I, well, we'll get there. Okay, so the wealthy man goes down into Hades. Lazarus gets carried off into, into a, a paradise to be with Father Abraham, okay? Cut to the afterlife, right? And here we see the rich man suffering in Hades, in torment, and he looks and he can see Lazarus and Abraham. Now you would think that this would be the moment for the rich man to say, I was wrong and you were right. Does he do that? No. What does he say? Right. Just give me some water. He's ordering Lazarus around. Do you see what's going on here? He's still privileged in hell. He's still down there going, will you have that guy come down here and just give me a little bit of water? Are you kidding me? There's no repentance whatsoever. There's no change of mind. He's the same guy. And when Abraham says, nope, can't do that, sorry. What's his next suggestion? Well, raise him from the dead. Send him out of the paradise that he's in, back to the poor, back to the poor life that he lived, just so he can do what? Tell my brothers. Is there any repentance? Any turn, any change of heart. That's the saddest part of this story in my, in my mind. The rich man is, is experiencing the fruit of the life that he lived. And he doesn't get it still. Still. A life lived only to benefit myself has led me to this place of torment. And yet, what's my only request? It's still all about me. Thoughts? Anyone? What do you think about what Jesus is saying here? I do have a thought, but it's not that. It has something to do with Lazarus, though. Yeah. So isn't he that dude with his sister? Yeah, not the same guy, though. So they both, it's the common name? Yes, it was a very common name. Lazarus. Yeah. I was confused. Yeah, this isn't Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead later. Okay. This This is a different guy. This is taking place before Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And, um, and not only that, yeah, it's, it's a common name. Uh, the Hebrew version is Eleazar, which was Abraham's servant in the old Abraham stories, who was a very 
righteous man. And, uh, and so people were naming their children Eleazar. Uh, interestingly, though, his name means God has helped me. Who, Eleazar? Yeah. That's cool. God has helped me. Hmm. Um, Eleazar. Or God is my help. Which fits with his story, doesn't it? That the only hope that Lazarus had was God and not his money and not his worldly possessions or the way that the world thought of him. So yeah, not the same guy. I'm glad you asked. Thank you. Any other thoughts? What about this moral of this story? What do you think about this? I know the moral, but can you spell out the moral? It's basically like, To me, what I take of it is, like, he, he's reaping what he sows. He was all about himself, all about riches, money, having money, um, worldly possessions. And then he died, did not depend on God at all while he was alive. He went to hell. And then you have um, Lazarus, who was had nothing, which, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but he had, like, he had nothing. He... Um, it doesn't necessarily say that he did, like lived a life for God, though, did it? That did it doesn't say that. No. But um, because he didn't spend all this time and money on worldly possessions and things, he he was all about himself, so he went to heaven, basically. Yeah. The focus of our moral inquiry here is the rich man, not Lazarus. Right. We don't know about Lazarus's right. life, but we know about the rich man's. Right. And also it brings that this would have been a shocking end to the story for the people listening to Jesus. This would have been, they would have been like, wait a minute, what? This really blessed guy, this very successful man, he's burning in Hades. And the guy who was obviously cursed by God, who is lying next, you know, lying out in the gutter, he went to heaven. That's, that's a shocker. But Jesus goes even further than that. And Jesus says, the rich man should have known better because he had Moses and the prophets. He had the Old Testament. And he hasn't changed. And it's a warning to the Pharisees. Because remember the story we told last time. We had the guy, the really sick guy, that they brought into the, into the house, that they wanted Jesus to heal, right? Right? But they wanted it, they wanted Jesus to heal him. Why? So he could get in trouble. That's right. So was it about the sick guy? No. no. Was it about Jesus? Was it good for Jesus? No. They didn't care about Jesus. And they didn't care about the sick guy. They were all about themselves. And here's Jesus once again, just putting a mirror up before these Pharisees, saying, "Hey." This is the kind of life that's going to lead you to that kind of a place. And there won't be any rescue from there because you can't change your mind. What do you think? Um, I think that if I was like the Pharisees after listening to this, it would be like an episode of Scared Beyond the Street. <laughs> I would not want to be like the king. Yeah. That would be my life. You would think. But did they? That's, that's a great question. I think the answer is probably no. Uh, Luke doesn't tell us what their response was. Uh, it's just they keep on going. You know how hard it is to wake someone up, to slap them in the face and say, your, your life is messed up and you're not okay. It's nearly impossible. Really requires, requires quite a shock to get people to actually look at their lives and make any real changes. We talked about the, you know, turning the oxygen off to keep to smoke your cigarette. Mm -hmm. I would think at that point they would have thought about their life. 
oh, you're going to have to go on oxygen because your lungs only work about 10% of what they should. Oh, great. Um, can I still smoke every day? Yeah, just turn your oxygen off. <laughs> you would think, right? Wouldn't that, shouldn't that shock them out of complacency and into a place? I always think about, you know, have you ever... I, I have literally never watched any of these shows, but I see that they exist, like My Thousand Pound Life or... You know what I'm talking about? These I people that. that you literally, they literally have to ha like take the house apart to take them out after they've died. Um, like that kind of a thing. What is it required? At what point do you look at your life and think, you know, I just crossed the 400 pound mark. Maybe I should think about my life. Or Hoarders. Have you ever watched the Hoarder show? Oh, that's horrible. It is, but that didn't happen all at once. You know what I mean? That was a lifestyle ingrained in, and they just kept many people. Uh, there's, well, I probably, okay. So <laughs> there was a couple at my church that was evicted from their trailer because it was absolutely full to the ceiling with garbage. They got evicted, whatever. A year later, they got evicted from their next trailer for the same reason. I don't even get it like this. I don't even know how it works. Yeah, you got to put work yeah. in, <laughs> into that. You you, the trash exactly. I don't even know how you do it. We had we uh, a good friend of mine, um, his mother died, and... We spent weeks and weeks cleaning her house out. And there was stuff in there that was really nice, like expensive stuff. Brand new vacuum cleaners that had never been used, like uh, coffee machines. I mean, that she went machines. to Walmart and bought them. Multiple machines. Multiple, yes. Wow. Went to Walmart and bought them. I don't know that she ever used them, even once. They just sat there in a box in her house. For no reason at all, Maybe and she died. Like a shopper. Well, I don't know. I don't. I, but you would think, because it literally took a week per room of her house to clean that house out. Now our church garage sale got a lot of that stuff, and we made a lot of money off of it, but not nearly as much money as she spent filling it up in the first place. But we we can look at that, and we can say, well, I'm not that bad, but. There are patterns in our lives that are leading us to death as well. And Jesus is saying, look, you, that there are patterns in every life that are tending us towards death. They're going to lead us to a place of death. Will we wake up before it's too late and, and change? And Jesus' kind of whole point was, if you wait too long, you will not have the ability to change any longer. And even the way that the rich man speaks to Abraham and Lazarus shows us he hasn't really thought different. He's only been in hell for like five minutes. Well, I don't know how long he's been there. I would say five minutes is probably long enough. No, I mean, hell is hell, right? Yeah. It wouldn't take very long. <laughs> you know, it reminds me like when he was like, Oh, you need some water off your finger. My mom used to tell me that people in hell want ice water whenever I used to ask for something. <laughs> <laughs> she, she, like that. Uh, she was saying that your situation was equally hopeless. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I'm sure they do. Uh, I'd imagine. Nice water. Nice water. This is this is a powerful story. It really is. Um, and it it should make all of us pause and say, Holy Spirit, help me. Uh, reveal to me the things in my life, uh, the patterns in my life that I refuse to see. What is going on in my life that, that 
I'm not what are my blind spots what what what's going on in my life that I refuse to see even even if I'm confronted with it I'm not capable of seeing it even when it hurts me even when I'm reaping bad fruit from things that are happening in my life Dallas Willard is a uh, Christian thinker author that I highly respect. He's with the Lord now. Um, uh, but he uh, he says he says I'm trying. To, I'm going to have to paraphrase because I can't remember the exact quote. But he says your life. Uh, how, how can I, I'm trying to, I know the idea, but. Your life is perfectly designed to produce the fruit that it is currently producing. Your life is perfectly designed to produce the fruit that it's currently producing. So if you have a problem with the fruit that your life is producing now, it's not the fruit that's your problem. It's the tree. Absolutely. Your life is the problem. The design of your life. That's a good metaphor. And in order to change the fruit that you're producing, you have to change yourself. Or you have to allow the Holy Spirit to change you. And he gives lots of good and good information about how that happens. How do human beings change? There's a question. What do you think? I think a series of events is what makes people change. Okay. Like what? Like Give me time. an example. Um, so experiences and nobody like goes through life every single day like the exact same without having an experience that it changed them. Like even if it was like some like as slight as a thought, like a thoughts and experience like, oh, my life's the same every single day. That's an experience and they change, decide to change it. Or like um, an event in their life that probably like traumatized them or even like helped them, you know. People change through time. I think there is a, a negative connotation around the word trauma that exists right now. We mm -hmm. talk about I was traumatized by this, I was traumatized by that, and we talk and and we we refer to that almost always in in a, in a negative way. And of course, trauma is trauma, right? It stinks. Um, but I think that's kind of at the heart of the Christian faith is experiencing trauma and, and allowing God to inhabit that trauma and bring good things from it. Does that make sense? social pressure also is like a big factor of what inhibits change inhibits or creates, Sorry, creates. may do either one sure but yeah the people around you i used to tell when i was a youth pastor i used to tell my students show me your friends and i'll show you your future because mm -hmm. it's the truth the people you hang out with are going to influence the decisions that you make even if you don't recognize that or don't believe that and all you Enneagram 4s are going, they don't influence me. Yeah, I guess they do. What about vice versa? Could you be, instead of a bad You absolutely influence them. And they can be an influence in your life for the good or for the bad or both. Yes. That's why if you're spending time with people who are doing well, living life in a Christ-like way, it's going to encourage you to do so. I don't mean that it's always bad. Sometimes, sometimes it's good. In fact, I hope that's more often the truth than not. It is just as bad for you to be alone as it is for you to be with bad people. Wait, what? How? Trust me. To be alone? Yep. And bad people? Yes. Get a loneliness. They are equally deal. destructive to you. There might be different kinds of destruction, but they are equally destructive. Like jails when you lose things. Of course. 
town to have to do it. But there's more. There's more than one kind of jail. There's actual jail, <laughs> which is really bad. But then there's mental and emotional jail, which is just as bad, honestly. You know, in the age, in our post-COVID age, there are a lot of people who decided not to be a part of a church anymore uh, because they didn't recognize all that that church was doing for them. They didn't recognize that positive influence in their lives that these people were. These people were leading them toward Christ. And they think, I got Joel Osteen and and Joyce Meyer. I'm going to be fine. And that's not true. I'm really joking, if any of you know me (laughs) at all. Okay. (laughs) I have very little good to say about either one of those people. Uh, but, uh, huh? Joyce Meyer. Two people that have gotten extremely rich. Oh, ridiculously wealthy. Uh, by, uh, by, by writing Christian books and selling Christian uh materials and 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 they are unbelievably wealthy. I think I think Jesus would have something to say about that. Well Joel Osteen in particular talks a lot about money. You know you can buy a a it's actually like a little speaker. That if you just press a button on the speaker, you're going to get an inspirational statement from Joel Osteen. Oh, I'm not kidding. You can, they have them at Walmart. Isn't that great? What? Yes, I, they do. I don't know what, like, I don't know. I'm not sure what exactly is the catalyst for, like, actual change. Because right now I'm thinking of, you've seen Super Size Me, right? I have. With Justin Spurlock. Have you guys all seen Super Size Me? Hardcore. Yeah, I I love it. I watch that documentary like once a year, just because I'm just so fascinated by it. Yes. And every every he eats McDonald's every day for thirty days, and it shows like you know just the destructive pattern that that us as as Americans are putting on ourselves as as a society. We continue to to feed all of these destructive material patterns without recognizing the impact that it does. And he shows us. I guess what a lifetime of horrible decisions looks like if we in just do 30 it. days. Yeah, and if we just do it in 30 days and by the end of it I'm just like, my goodness, Ronald McDonald, I'll never go right? I'll never buy another McNugget ever I didn't again in my walk, life. I didn't walk into a McDonald's for months. Dude, I know, yeah. And that's what I'm, I always think that whenever I watch it I'm always like, oh my gosh, this is absolutely disgusting. You know Nick Carvado. I'll have a number two. And like that's that's where I, I, I am because it's just like Okay, this is entertaining, but this is all make believe. Like this, this can't actually be ap- applicable to what's happening here right. in my life right now, because he's just like, obviously, I'm not going to go and eat McDonald's for thirty days on end. But what I'm doing, eating the McDonald, you know, doing the the destructive behavior just a little bit at a time over the course of the next sixty years of my life, yeah. is going to lead me to the same place that he was at after thirty days of just let's just get it all in three days, you know, three meals a day, thirty days straight. And I don't know, I just, I think that everyone afterwards was like, <clears throat> you know, let's go, and then... And McDonald's put salads on the yeah, menu. Yeah, they put salads on the menu, they started putting calories Stopped asking people to supersize their food. Exactly, and <laughs> I don't know, it, it feels like it's, it's nice in, everything's very nice in theory. Yeah. But just in practice, it's, it's not convenient to... And those kind of wake up moments like watching a documentary like that will usually cause us to make enough of a change that we feel better, but not not enough of a change to really radically change our lives, which is one of the problems that I have with the way, forgive me, I'm going to sound like an old man right now, but the way that Gen Z and millennials do activism, okay? Because they will show up, yeah, you know, um, uh, they, they, 
see something horrible, you know, they see a, another school shooting that happens, right? So they all walk out of school early, um, uh, you know, that, that, that day, um, uh, which, you know what, cool, right? But is that going to do anything at all to change the laws in this nation so that another school shooting doesn't happen tomorrow? I don't think so. I really don't. What's really going to change the laws <clears throat> is if, as they get older, they actually participate in the political process mm -hmm. and get out there and vote and get other people to vote and they start making changes to the way that we, you know, deal with guns and ammunition. And um, also, let's, let's do a lot more research on the kinds of people that shoot up a school and how do, we, how do we figure out who that is before that actually happens and the kinds of problems and issues that lead to someone killing people in a, in a public place? I mean, obviously this person's not healthy, right? You know, there's a million ways to think about this, but what we do is we change our Facebook profile picture to like it has a circle around it or whatever. Uh, we, uh, we dump ice water on our heads. We do, you know, you name it, all of these things that are ways that we that we are culturally participating in doing good, quote unquote, but we're not actually doing any good. I feel like it's very easy for in a world that, where everything matters, all of a sudden it parts. Nothing really. Nothing matters, matters at all. I haven't heard about Ukraine, and that's still happening. I literally haven't. Oh, I, it's actually turned around lately, and uh, lately. the Ukrainians are winning, See, and. Well, that's awesome. But the problem is Vladimir Putin has decided to force all Russian men into, well, not all yet, but they all think that he's forcing any Russian man who has been in the military back into military service. So people are fleeing Russia in droves, just trying to get away from forced military service. And he made a threat that he, he said, don't forget, we have nukes. I'm not bluffing. So, yeah. On Twitter? No, he said in a speech that he made. I mean, that would have been President Trump. This is Vladimir Putin. He's not quite as Twitter savvy. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, so it's a scary time uh, over there right now. But, <coughs> regardless, this is, this for me, as a pastor, this question how do people change is, in my opinion, it, this is a question I am very, very, very interested in. Because it is my job to help people change. People change people. Heard that somewhere. That's true. Maybe in a rom-com. <laughs> <laughs> Hurting people hurt people. Yeah. Um, which is also true. Just because it was said in the rom-com doesn't mean that it's not true. But it also doesn't mean it is true. Amen. Absolutely. At first I didn't get it, but then now I kind of do. Like, there are parents out there who, like, had it pretty, pretty bad. And they just, like, Rinse, repeat the cycle with their kids, and Absolutely. you think that they know better. You, know? you would think. Even when they can look at their lives and point at the negative effects of what their parents did to them, it's they still reproduce it. Yeah, my my mom was like my grandmother was a very physically abusive woman, and would beat my mom constantly. And so my mom, you know, she started having kids. She said, I'm absolutely not going to beat my kids. Right. But instead, we got very harsh words, lots of verbal and emotional abuse because I feel though she was never able to pinpoint um, the, the, the root, like the heart issue behind it, which was the anger yeah. and the rage. She said, okay, well, instead of that anger and rage, like I'm not gonna, we'll forget about that. It's just what she does with it. So I'm just gonna change what I do with it and then it'll be okay. So like, like what you said, yeah. hopefully as a parent, I can say, okay, well, I know that the anger is gonna be the root issue of 
my, my parenting, you know, so hopefully I can solve the anger, nip it at the bud, instead of just changing the way that I dish it out. You know who Martin Luther is? Not Martin Luther King. Oh yeah, the um, Ma- dude in the Martin King. Luther. Like the guy who, the class. like, mm-hmm. put the papal on the scrolls? Yes. Oh, the seats, yeah. right? You have to pay to get your sins, like, removed or something? Oh sure, that's one of them, yeah. He had 99 theses, 99 things that he was mad at the Catholic Church about. And he nailed them to the Wittenberg door, the, this, the door of his church in Wittenberg, Germany, and began the Protestant Reformation on that day, which happened about 500 years ago. Actually, it was 500 years ago last year, I think. Um, or maybe two years ago. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Well, the very first one says something to the effect of all life is repentance. What it means to follow Jesus is that we are constantly, constantly allowing the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the ways in which we are not like Christ so that we can be transformed into his image. What do you think about that statement? What was the last three words? All life is repentance. I know what repent means, but can somebody like give me like a quick definition? To repent means to change. To Stop and head in the opposite direction from where you're headed. Not to say sorry. I was thinking it was to apologize. No, that's confession. Okay, so confess. Repentance means to change. It's one thing to say, I did this. I'm sorry. It's another thing to actually change. Repentance requires change. For so long. I'm thinking, oh, you need to repent for your sins. You need to say sorry for them when it means to change and not do them. Yeah, you don't repent for your sins, you repent from them. You confess your sins and repent. It was Jesus' first Jesus' first message was the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Okay? Change. Martin Luther said that should be an ongoing process that we walk in our entire lives. Thoughts? I think he's right. Repentance. You can keep, if we're using the change, you change until until death. On your deathbed, you can change so drastically. So life is repentance, like every single day. Repent, 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 Yeah. Because are we ever going to be done becoming like Christ? Nope. No. Even when you're in heaven, I think you're still like trying. But I, I agree. There. No, I agree with that. I think that's what I think that's the the teaching of Scripture that uh, even after even after we die, we are still being transformed into his image, because that's our eternal destiny. Romans 8, chapter, uh, Romans eight thirty. Well, no, we'll start at 29. No, we'll start at 28. You all know Romans eight twenty eight. I hope. We know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We all know that verse, right? What is that about? What good? That's why you keep reading. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, 
he also glorified. What does that mean? The good that all things are working together for is not, uh, you're going to get that paycheck that you didn't think you were going to get. You're going to get that new, that new pair of shoes that you wanted. You, that's not the good. That might be the good that Joel Osteen talked to you about, but that is not the good the Apostle Paul was talking about. I know I'm picking on Joel Osteen this morning. Lord bless your servant. Amen. Um, <clears throat> but the good that Paul is talking about is that we would be transformed into the image of Christ. That's the good. All the time. Don't get me started on verses that get used out of context. Because Jeremiah 29, I'm coming for you. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you. Plans are prosperous. Oh my gosh, does that get used out of context? I, I, I'm not saying you don't. <laughs> oh, that's one of my favorite ones. My, I had a, I had a, I got in big trouble one time on Facebook because I posted a scripture. I posted a picture of a mug, and on the mug it said, "I can do all things through one verse taken out of context." <laughs> and I thought that was really funny, and I had people get really mad at me about that. But anyway. They have no sense of humor. That's very true. We yeah. can't expect church people to have a sense of humor. And if they can I'm not saying it's a bad verse and it says very beautiful things, but let's let it say what it says, not what it doesn't say. And we'll talk about that some other time. Uh, but when when the Apostle Paul says God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. The Apostle Paul is talking about the difficult things that you walk through in life. God didn't cause them, but he will use them to trans- so that you can be transformed into Christ's image. And that's the thing I was talking about earlier, that this is at the core of the Christian life, that as bad things happen to us, as trauma comes our way, it is bad. But God wants to step into the midst of our trauma and use it to transform us into the image of Jesus. So that even in the worst thing that happens to you, God is glorified. Look at Joseph, right? He gets thrown into a pit, sold as a slave, thrown, uh, uh, accused of sexual assault, thrown in prison. <laughs> And yet God used him to feed an entire region in the midst of a famine. I was thinking about the wrong Joseph. Which Joseph were you thinking of? um, Mary's baby daddy. Oh, gee. God is Mary's baby daddy, uh, actually. But that's that's a whole other thing. Maybe Mary's step baby daddy. (laughs) (laughs) And then she married Joseph, and then they had children. So he's her baby daddy. He is. (laughs) He's also her husband. Yes. That's absolutely true. (laughs) That's right. Can you imagine that conversation? So, Joe, how you doing? I'm pregnant. He would have been like, that was not me. I know it wasn't me. We ain't done any of that yet. And she, she says, oh, yes, God got me pregnant. Can you imagine how quick he would have been to believe that? Oh, my gosh. Would you? Like, no way. Absolutely not. Knowing me, I probably, I probably would have like snitched or something. Well, he was ready to. He was ready to. He was ready to. Well, he didn't want her to get stoned. He was, he was gonna just quietly end their arrangement, and she could go and just, you know. But then the angel, the angel showed up in a dream and said, "Hey, she's not kidding. It was God." Uh, see that, like, that you see, like, if, if you just, knowing that, that yeah. God has done that before, even now, I know in my head, I'd be like, like, you would not be quick to accept that. Well, yeah, because God's not going to do it again. Right, right. He's not going to do it again. But I'm saying, <laughs> if, if that was to happen again. Uh, there was, that was a one time deal. Yes. <laughs> you know, honestly, I wonder if somebody's ever used that. It was a QSO. Oh, well, I wouldn't be surprised. Okay, so I had this. This is completely off topic. Not that we weren't already, but um,
I, I, I want to say this to any of to, you ladies in this room. Um, I, I had two different women at my church tell me that when they were teenagers and they weren't sexually active and they missed a period, that both of them separately didn't even know each other. Both of them wondered if they were the mother of the Antichrist. It happens. Our it really does happen. Girl has <laughs> I have Every never heard that in my life. Yeah. Really? Yes. Yes. Or like, <laughs> let me say this in a way that like <coughs> men can relate. It's like when you come home and your family's not there <laughs> and your very religious family's not there and you're like, Oh, did, did the rapture happen? The rapture. Yeah, of course. Like, yeah. I would. Oh, I. I mean. I mean. Yeah, I get that. No, I'd imagine the rapture. Was I, I, it's like. I, I definitely I felt that way as a kid. Yes. But my period isn't here. Yes. What am I gonna? Uh, what happened? What happened? Yeah. You start crying a little bit. That's just really sad <laughs> for yeah, me because I'm so scared. because I mean I I so. would hope that the women in your life would tell you that sometimes that happens. You know, there's oh, lots of reasons. Oh, there's lots of reasons why that happens. Yeah. She saw me in the bathroom, like, sobbing, like, ugly crying, snot all down my face. She's like, what's wrong with you? And she laughed at me. Listen, men, if you ever have daughters, make sure you teach them. Tell them that. Well, I'm not going to teach them. Well, my, make sure your wife my wife is going to teach her. My wife has already taught, taught her. Today? Because I was not. And boys, too. Because when, when I had my period, my little brothers found out about them at the same time. Yeah. And my little brother, Duke, the youngest one, went around telling everybody who listened. And then she's on her menstrual. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. That's unfortunate. She's like he always, yeah, still he would say it. He'd be like, ah, she's on her period. Whenever I'm like upset or anything. That's really sad. My brother does that too. He's only like, he's turning 13. My brother's turning 26. <laughs> <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. Okay. Well, anyway, I had never heard of that in my entire life. Apparently this happens. Okay. That's, that's fascinating. Now I have had the whole like uh, it's awfully quiet. Where are my parents? I don't know where people are. Oh gosh, did I miss the rapture? It's like that. I have had that. that I have. Before, but uh, before I was a Christian, I had a dream that that happened. I had that. All I I, I had that dream too. I actually in the dream the rapture would have happened very slowly. People just kind of like slowly it's at, and I'm like I'm like watching my parents go, and I'm like please like grabbing their feet like. <laughs> getting picked off the ground but then you know and they're like we're sorry you know like that was it like that was the whole thing and then I'm quickly repenting Lord Jesus forgive me for all my sins yeah. hoping that everyone but my nieces my niece and my nephews went, was still here on earth my whole family because no one no one were Christians then was Christians then that was the problem <sighs> the, the, the rapture when the rapture happens um, it's going to become a purge. I'm 100% convinced. When people start to figure out, like non-Christians too, like the rapture's happening, they're purging. Yeah. They're going to Walmart and getting that big screen TV for the last few moments they have. Right. Well, I, I'm, I am absolutely convinced that the rapture does not happen until the second coming of Jesus, which is after the tribulation. And uh, so this will not be something that is... Uh, quite as unexpected as left behind would lead you to believe. <laughs> you can disagree with me if you like, but I'm I am almost completely certain that... Uh, I'll be honest, I get confused on the difference of what's what. Yeah, well, you know, we in, in years past, they have asked me to do, like, you know, uh, um, kind of an end times class for you guys. Uh, usually not as a part of Bible study, but like as a separate thing. And I would be more than willing to do that again if that's something that y'all would like to do. Um, but. You know, I really don't want the rapture to happen in my lifetime. Why not? No, what's going to happen? I got things I want to do still on earth. Sure. I want to be with the Lord. Hallelujah. See, I used to say that. I, like, but, yeah, I thought that too. There's things I want to do that, that I can't do in heaven. Because, like, what it's if, like. My one, my way better than the Grand Canyon. Probably. If that the only, really the only thing you would miss is like being a mother. That's the only thing. A mother? I won't have no kids. No. You know I don't really want to have. A, I want to foster. 
I want to foster. I want to have like a little orphanage. The only thing, the only thing that you cannot do post-rapture that you could do pre is have children and be married. I can go skydiving. Sure. Better than that is you don't need a plane. That's the fun of it. With the guy behind me while I'm turning my head off. I just, I don't know. I couldn't do it. So, how much is that? Yeah. I'm trying to think if I want to do this. Okay. So, this is kind of deep. But, like, kids that were, I know, like aborted, right? Yes. They're obviously, they're, like, if their parents were saved, then they would be in heaven and they would be there. They would know their children, correct? Yeah. But what if for the ones that their parents, do not become Christians and do yeah. not go to heaven. Right. They don't, like obviously God the, God is our father, but like they don't have no. parents, right? No. I don't, I don't know why I just thought I'm pretty sure that like, angels take care of that. I, there's lots of moms and dads there. Maybe their grandparents or their great-grandparents oh, yeah. or their aunts and uncles. But you don't have it. Trust me. They're gonna. They're they're gonna be. (laughs) (laughs) Because like my mom had an abortion like a long time ago before Mm -hmm. she became a Christian and everything, and so like my aunt's there with that baby now. Like Mm -hmm. thinking about that. McClay had an abortion before he was saved. Well, he had an abortion. He didn't. Well, like he made he made the woman path, right? And like he, now he's open about it, like how he, like regrets it, and like he hopes one day he can see, yeah. and he will. You know, I want to see Charlie when I go to heaven, like that dog from All Dogs Go to Heaven, because I'm pretty sure dogs uh, should go to heaven. I, I, That's like, I I think. Yeah, do you? As far as we know, the animals don't have eternal souls. Animals. But. The Bible doesn't really have anything to say about right. animals in heaven. So that means they don't have nothing to not say. Well, they just want the important stuff in life. No. Yes, you're right. Yeah, I the Bible know. doesn't say anything about microwaves either, See, exactly. or <laughs> vaccinations for that matter. But that's a whole other conversation. Well, no, that's it. Piece, you know? It is not. You know, I'm surprised. I know a lot of people who've been like, "Oh yeah, I caught COVID 20 times." And I'm like, I've never caught it once. Me neither. Okay, so the rich man and Lazarus. Any final questions on that before we wrap up? I want to say one more thing about it. but Now I have no things to say. Okay, so the one other thing I want to say about it is this. A lot of pastors will take the parable of rich man and Lazarus and use it to teach about the geography of hell. They will say, see, there's com- different compartments in hell. There's the place where people are are tortured, and then there's Abraham's bosom, and then blah, blah, blah. They're going to talk about that. That's, they call it that because that's the, new, the King James Version translation. It just means that being with Abraham, but they still call it that, even if they don't even read the King James. Um, this is not a story about the geography of hell. And we cannot get teaching about hell or even really the afterlife from this story because that's not what Jesus was trying to tell us. Jesus was trying to tell us that there are patterns in our lives that if we don't watch them, they will take we they will take us right right to hell. And that we need to repent in the midst, you know, before that happens. That's Jesus' call. Jesus' call is don't wait. Pay attention now to the things that are leading you in a hell direction. That's the point of the story. Okay? He also had a lot to say about wealthy people who don't care about the poor. That's what Jesus was talking about. Jesus wasn't trying to teach a lesson about you so because I have literally seen pastors put like a map of hell on the screen. Here's Abraham's bosom. Here's the great chasm Abraham talked about that cannot be crossed. And over here is where the people are being tortured. They're separate from each other, but they're both in Hades. Da 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 da. Wrong. It's not 
the point of the story, so please don't try and use this as a primer for uh, uh, the geography of hell. Are we good? Okay, cool. Awesome. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, my request this morning, as we stand in the light of your word, is that you would, right now, let's all just take a deep breath. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would reveal destructive patterns in our lives. Help us to see them and give us the grace we need to change. this in Jesus' name.